Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Today we'll look at the new covenant and see how it has the authority to save. There is nothing else that will atone or provide forgiveness for our sins other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And now here is part three of Cheryl's message titled, The Power of the New Covenant. I've got a quote from you. It's gonna sound familiar, but I'm gonna put a twist on it. Don't ask what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. I see church hopping because people are going, which church is most advantageous to me? What church is going to, you know, have the best Sunday school program? Well, why don't you join the Sunday school program and make the church that God has brought you to the whopping best church ever? You see, you need to invest in your church. It's time to invest, to seek again, to consider one another, to love and good works. But in this day and age, it's all about what's best for me. What is of the most comfort? What am I getting out of this? We need to commit to community and make the community your family. You need to say to somebody on a Sunday morning, how can I pray for you? I've told you this before, but um, I remember coming back to church when I had moved back from England and I sat on the second row and I sat next to a woman named Beryl. Beryl. She said, it's like Merle, but with a B. She was so amazing. She always had a hat every Sunday. She's gorgeous. And her hat always matched her husband's tie. And I sat next to her and she wrote my name down. She didn't know me from anyone. And she said, how can I pray for you this week? And she wrote down these things. I, I, she said, I want three things, three ways I can pray for you this week. She was the friendliest, sweetest woman I, I, I had met in a long time. And I started going to second service just so I could sit next to her every Sunday. And I just, I wanted to sit next to her. And one Sunday, you know, she knew my name was Cheryl. And one day they announced that Cheryl would be sharing it, Joyful Life. She turned and she said, because my dad looked at me and she said, have you been holding out on me? And I said, maybe. And she said, is that your papa up there? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, well, Cheryl, I'm going to pray twice as hard for you. <laughs> One Sunday, she went home after service, and this woman was fully involved in this church. And she took a nap, and she went right into the presence of Jesus. It was a loss for the church such a gain for heaven. 
But don't you want to be the next Burl? Sounds like Merle with B. Don't you want to be that? I remember at her funeral, my dad did her funeral. And when it came time, it was packed here. When it came time to share people whose lives Burl had touched, the line went all the way out that back door. That's when we used to have an aisle here and I'm praying the aisles back. But there was an aisle all the way out that back door. And my dad said, I thought you were going to share something. I said, I was, but the line was too long. And he said, wasn't it? That was the longest line I've ever seen at a funeral. She came to this church every Sunday to consider how she could stir up love and good works how she could pray, how she could minister. And she was here every single Sunday. It is extremely important to assemble regularly in light of the days and times we live in. Why? Because we get influenced by the world without realizing it. We take on their ways without realizing it. And church is where our perspective is fixed. In Psalm 73, Asaph said, you know, I started thinking there's no advantage in living a godly life until he said, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. The world, as um, a poet put it, is too much with us. Buying and spending, we lay our powers waste. We need church to get the right perspective. And church is also where we can use our spiritual gifts. We can use the gift of prophecy. We can use the gift of encouragement. We can use the gift of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. You won't know what gifts you have until you come to church and begin to exercise and use your spiritual gifts. Next, the authority of the new covenant, verses 26 through 31. Peter said in Acts 4.12 that there is no other salvation, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What the writer is saying in verses 26.31 is that there is no other covenant that can save. This is the only covenant. And those outside the covenant who sin willfully after hearing the knowledge of the truth, there's no other sacrifice for sin. There's nothing else that will work. There's nothing else that will atone or forgive or cleanse from sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's no other expectation. Those in the new covenant have expectations of all the grace they need and a reward at the end of our lives and even in these lives that God answers prayer. But the only expectation of those outside the covenant of God, verse 27, is the surety of judgment for their sins, is fiery indignation that will devour the adversary. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus tells us that hell was not made for people, but it was made for Satan and his angels. But those who choose to rebel, who choose to be in Satan's army, who choose to be the rebels against God, they end up with the same fate as the devil and his minions. 
In verse 27, I'm sorry, we're told also that there's a worse punishment than even those received under Moses' covenant. In Deuteronomy 27.30, Moses lined up blessings and cursings. Blessings if you obeyed the covenant of God, but there were also curses. And the curses included eviction from the land, exclusion from God's blessings, the extensive sufferings, and exile to other nations. Those who rejected the lesser covenant died without mercy by the testimony of two or three witnesses. But those who reject the new covenant are declaring, according to verse 29, that Jesus' blood is worthless and they trample it underfoot. C.S. Lewis said, it's not that easy to get into hell. It's not that easy to get into hell. There are three steps to getting into hell. One, you must trample Jesus' blood underfoot and walk over the cross. Two, you must call or consider Jesus' blood as common, that Jesus deserved to die that death. And three, you must continually resist the goadings and proddings and convictions of the Holy Spirit. Continually. You see, you're here in this room because you couldn't resist the proddings of the Holy Spirit. He gotcha. One day you're like, I can't resist anymore. I sense the love of God. I sense the call of God. I'm going to give in. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is precious. I believe that the only reason it was shed was for the forgiveness of my sins, to reconcile me to God. I believe in the covenant that God has given through Jesus Christ. Those outside the covenant count Jesus' blood as worthless, count the blood of Jesus a common thing. They have, give no value to it at all. And they insult the spirit of grace, or they outrage, they disdain. They are saying, I don't need you. And every time the Spirit says, Jesus loves you, they say, don't speak to me. Don't talk to me. They resist, resist, resist until their hearts are so hard. They can't feel it. They can't hear it. They can't sense it. You know, we know that in our day and age, there is a huge problem with alcoholism and drug abuse. And alcoholism and drug abuse, I believe there is one reason that people try to numb themselves. And I believe they try to numb themselves from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I believe they do these things because they don't want to hear the Holy Spirit and they don't want to feel the guilt, or the conviction of their sins. They, they just don't want to feel anymore. There is this sense of numbing just so I don't have to feel the pain or anything in life. And when you talk to somebody on drugs, you can't get through. They're just so numb. They're just so, you know, out of it because they don't feel anything 
It's to continually resist by any means the proddings of the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, there are consequences to the rejection of the only covenant available. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, God will judge his people. Vengeance, God's vengeance is against sin. It's against sin. It's only against sin. But if I am free of sin, if I am cleansed from sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to receive the vengeance or wrath of God. It comes against sin. And whoever still has sin, it is because of sin, not because of their personality, not because of their lifestyle, not because of their gender or nationality. It has only to do with the presence of sin. Either Jesus paid and covered your sin or you will pay for those sins. I'm reading Jeremiah right now, my personal devotions. And because it's 52 chapters, I'm going to be here for a while. But Jeremiah was constantly warning the people against the impending judgment of God against their sin. And he said, it's about the sin. Get rid of sin. You're doing the sacrifices, but, but you have no heart in it. You've got sin. You're offering oblations to other gods. You've got idols in your home. You've got to get rid of sin. And rather than getting rid of sin, they sought to kill Jeremiah. They said, we don't believe you. And they were emboldened in their sin. And then they were angry with God when judgment fell. Even though they had been warned, they were so angry. And they were evicted, exiled, and taken into captivity, just as Jeremiah prophesied. God keeps his word. He does not threaten to threaten. He warns because of the consequences. Now, I have to say this. My mother was to be feared. She was also to be loved, but she was to be feared. Because my dad was so busy, my mom was a disciplinarian in the home. And I remember one time saying to my mom, you know, I'm going to run away. And she said, go ahead. And I'll chase you down screaming the whole way. And then I'll tackle you. And I'll hold you down. And I'll... And I'm like, don't worry, I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. I'll just stay here. But I remember, I mean, there was... I had a fear and love relationship with my mom. I did not want to cross that woman. I wanted to stay on the good side. Because the good side was good. And the bad side was horrid, terrible, traumatic. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think about those who've said, God's not real. I'm not afraid of God. Think of the blasphemous things that people have said about God. I was just reading about a blasphemous program that's going to be coming out on television really soon where God's a cigar-smoking, lustful, you know, guy who's very arbitrary. And this is going to be the personification of God on television. And I thought, wow, I don't want to be those actors. I don't want to be that producer. I don't want to be that director. Because one day, they're going to realize it's all real. 
And they're going to stand before the living God. I want to be on the good side. The good side, which includes his righteousness, his love, his kindness, his grace, his mercy, and his blessing. But God will take vengeance against sin. Sin is his enemy. I don't want any sin on me. I don't want any cause. Sin is the threat to all of God's good creation. Sin is the thief of God's creation. Sin is the liar. Sin is the captor. Sin is the torture. Sin is the disease. Sin is the cancer. Sin is the oppressor. That's why God hates sin and wants to remove it from our lives and has given the remedy, the, the purification from sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Finally, the assurance of the new covenant, verses 32 through 39. The author says, we are persuaded of better things concerning you. In 2 Peter 2.10, Peter says, make your calling and election sure. So the author points to the authenticity of their commitment or the assurance that they are in the new covenant. And he points to the time when they were illuminated. They received the gospel. They were illuminated. The lights went on. Then they endured a great struggle with persecutions. They were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations. They were companions or they associated with those who were ill-treated because of the gospel. And then they had compassion on the author when he was in prison. And they joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. And they had an expectation for an enduring possession in heaven. These were the signs that they were fully in and under the new covenant. The author is saying, you have invested in this. You have come too far to turn back now. The investment in the gospel was all that had been spent and all that had been lost and all that had been endured. And all of this was leading them to a great reward. The trials and the afflictions were not a sign that they were in the wrong place, but it was part of their investment in the right place, in the new covenant. There was the assurance that they were in the right covenant, but then there was the assurance that all that they had gone through would be rewarded. Verse 36, they just needed to endure a bit longer to continue to do the will of God, the new covenant, and they would receive the promise. Luke 18, verses seven through eight, Jesus said, and and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You see, we want these in and out. We want to go into the throne room of God and get the answer to our prayer immediately. And we, we don't want to process. We don't want to, you know, wait for it. But it's about waiting and persevering and enduring till we receive the reward. 
the Lord will do it. We have to keep praying, keep enduring, keep holding on until the answer comes. We keep praying without ceasing. You, you, you just keep going. You don't go, well, I guess God's not going to answer that prayer, so I'll go on to prayer number two. No. You keep holding on. You keep praying. You keep enduring. You're invested. You've put too much in to turn back now. This is not the time. You're invested. There's a reward. You don't want to turn back right before the reward. You have to endure to the end. We're too invested to turn back now. And that's what he's saying. You're too invested. And you have the insurance that what you've invested, you will be rewarded. You have assurance, verses 37 through 38, of Jesus' return for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Jesus is coming, and he will come at the perfect time, and until then, those who would be righteous live by faith. Those who would be righteous, we believe in every word that God says. We believe in the blood of Jesus. We believe in everything the new covenant has brought to us. We have faith in what Jesus has done, faith in what Jesus has promised. There is no reward for the one who is not in new covenant. They don't have any reward. They don't have any expectation, but that fiery judgment against sin because they're holding on to it and they won't let it go. Finally, we have the assurance of salvation, verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or judgment, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Our identity is under the new covenant. We do not and we will not draw back because there is no other covenant. There is no other name by which men can be saved. There is one covenant, and that is the everlasting covenant that is brought to us and given to us by Jesus Christ. And we are in that new covenant. We are under the greatest contractual agreement that has ever been made, ever. It has the best advantages through the Messiah It has the best activities, divine, empowered, awesome activities. It has the greatest authority, greater authority than any other contract. It has the authority to take us to heaven. And it has the greatest assurance of hope for today and reward and salvation for tomorrow. We need to take advantage of all that is ours under the new covenant. No longer waver, no longer hold back, but enter boldly into the throne room of God. Hold fast to God's word. Consider one another to stir up to love and good works. Attend and participate in the assembly of the church. Endure to the promise. Keep investing and anticipate the return of Jesus. Here is our activity. God has seen to the rest. We get all the good stuff. 
because he took all the bad stuff on himself and out of the way so we could live in the advantage, the activity, the authority, and the assurance of the new covenant. One of the greatest promises of the new covenant is the assurance of our salvation. When we accept Jesus, we accept the new covenant and become a child of God. Our identity is now in Him and all He did and will do for us. We can have His peace and presence now and look forward to the hope of heaven. Jesus offers His new covenant freely to all. If you haven't accepted it yet, it's only a prayer away. Just come to Jesus with a sincere heart and ask Him to forgive your sins and He will because He loves you. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the power of faith as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.